Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Good morning, everybody. Y'all doing all right? Yeah, it's wonderful to see all you guys here today. I hope you uh, enjoyed your time off and your holiday season with your family and friends. Uh, listen, this morning we're going we're gonna to dive into a new series entitled uh, A Heart That Gives. A Heart That Gives. And so what I want to do for the next couple of weeks is I want to teach actually on the subject of, of how we can cultivate a spirit of generosity in our lives. And if I can just kind of just up the top first sermon series, give a full disclaimer. Uh, I want you to know the teachings I'm going to share over the next few weeks, they're going to be extremely practical, really simple. But I can promise you one thing, and I do mean I can promise you one thing, is that they'll be, they will be life-changing if you allow them to be. And the truth is, the things I want to talk about the next couple of weeks is such a different uh, way of thinking. I would even say it's a radical way of thinking uh, because it's the kingdom way of thinking. Amen. So for this series, I, I actually want to use First Timothy chapter six, verses seventeen through nineteen, kind of as our foundational passage. And so let's start by reading that today. If you're with me, say, "Oh yeah." It says this: it says, "Command or teach those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth." which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command or again, teach them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous. Somebody say generous. And willing to share. It says, in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of, or as another translation says, so they may experience the life that is true life. Love that last part. Now, if you've never read this before, if I can just kind of maybe uh, offer you a bit of context of what we just read. As most of us know, 1 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to a young man named Timothy. And Timothy was not only one of Paul's spiritual sons, but he was also the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Now, the reason Paul decided to write this particular letter to Timothy is because he wanted to uh, share a bit of wisdom with the young pastor on how he should address some of the problems, some of the issues he was facing within his congregation. Now, clearly from what we just read, one of the issues Timothy was dealing with was that the wealthy people in the church, they lacked a proper understanding of money and how God sees it and how God wants it to work, okay? And that was causing them to become arrogant and greedy. So in an attempt to solve the issue or to fix the problem, Paul encouraged Timothy to remind those under his care, those people in his congregation, about the kingdom principle of generosity, which, once again, if we reread it, we would see that it's really rooted in this key word called humility. Now, now, the reason Paul chose to emphasize this is because he knew as followers of Christ, their ability to cultivate and to possess a heart of generosity, it depended on one thing. And that one thing was this. It was their ability to receive a personal revelation of true biblical stewardship. Somebody say stewardship. So, and I want you to know, basically, of what we just read, man, the same truths, they weren't just true way back then, they're still true for this day, and they go for us as well. Amen? 
All right, so with that in mind, what I want to do for the next couple of minutes is I, I want to talk about the, the four essential things that we need to settle in our hearts if we're going to be able to practice or if we're going to live out true biblical stewardship at God's attends. Okay, so this is really a foundational message for the series that we're going to go into over the next few weeks. And so if you're taking notes, the, the first thing I think that we need to settle in our hearts when it comes to this topic is this. is Number one is that God is the owner or the possessor of all things. Somebody say all things. See, the Bible is clear on this. It says this in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. It says, look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong. All what? They belong to the Lord your God. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people, that's you and that's me. What does it say? It says it belongs or we belong to him. Last one, Colossians 1.16, it says, For through him, through Jesus Christ, God the Father created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. You see, through these verses, we understand that God... As creator owns, literally, as it just said, everything. From the very moment he said, let there be, he held the title deed in his hand of everything that we know and we don't know, everything that we can see and everything we can't see. Now, this means he not only owns the, the, you know, the sun and the moon and the stars, but he owns the very ground that you and I walk on, the air that we breathe, the food that we put into uh, our bodies, right? Like literally every single thing, big or small, that makes the universe a universe, it belongs to him. Now, in addition to that, according to what we just read, he doesn't own just the, the things that are around us, but he also owns us. Right, so, But it doesn't stop there because if he owns us, then that must also mean that he owns everything that we think we own. Now, this probably doesn't need to be mentioned, but if God is truly the owner of all things, then clearly he holds authority over all things. See, this is what makes him God. It's what makes him sovereign. It's what makes him the, the king of kings and the lord of lords. It's what makes him the great I am, right, the ruler of the universe. It's the fact that he owns it all. Right? So the second thing that we need to settle in our heart is if all that belongs to God, then that must mean that you and I don't own anything. Now, here's what's so funny is I recognize that most of us very easily can go, yeah, God owns it all. But then when we have to say, well, we don't own anything, well, we wrestle at that part. It was easy to have faith for the first one, and we struggle to accept the second one. If you know that's true, say, oh, yeah. But I want you to understand that, that literally when we say that we don't own anything, in other words, the things that we typically refer to as ours, we're saying they don't really belong to us. Now, once again, I know that's hard for you and I to wrap our heads around. It is certainly for me. But please listen to what the Apostle Paul also told the church in Corinth. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He said, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God... Why boast as though it were not a gift? In other words, he's saying, why do we continue to act like we're the reason for who we are and what we have? Like, if we can't let, like, let's let this sink in for a moment. Like, like let's look at it again. What do you have that God hasn't given you? Think about that. 
And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? In other words, why boast as though somehow you deserved it and you got it? You see, if we're ever going to become the type of generous people that Paul described in 1 Timothy chapter 6, then I think we have to understand that everything, and I do mean everything we have, is a gift from God. Now, I'm not just saying that to say that. I'm saying it because that's what the Bible tells us. James chapter 1, verse 17, it says this. It says, whatever is good and perfect is a what? Come on, say it like you mean, it's a what? It's a gift coming down to us from God, our Father. Now, let's sit there for a second. Let's expound that thought. Let's talk about a gift. Biblically speaking, we know that there are five gifts that each of us in this room have already received from God, whereas you already have what we're about to talk about. So here's the five gifts that you've already received from God. The first one is this, is life. Right, listen, when God breathed into man, he gave us the gift of life. Now, you and I are smart enough to understand that we didn't create ourselves, he created us. The second thing he gave us was this thing called time, right? That, that we understand according to Psalm 139 that God is the one who determines the number of our days that we'll live on this earth. Not you or not me, he determines that. So whether we recognize it or not, like each moment we have on this earth is a gift from him, and if it's a gift from him, it's something he gave us, then that must mean that every day that we live, that there's a purpose attached to it. The third thing that he gifted us, that he gave us as a gift, right, is our talents, or you could say our abilities. Now, according to the word, we understand that that encompasses not only our natural giftings and natural abilities, but also our spiritual gifts as well. Like, I, I want us to understand today that, that at no point in our lives did we wake up one morning and say, I want to be great at that, and then voila, we became great at that. Like, it didn't happen that way. What we have to understand is this, is that, that God is actually the one that wired us, right, and gave us the desire and the ability to do the things that we do. Now, if I can make it really simple, it's like this. That something that I think would be really cool to do is to be able to sing and to be able to play a guitar. I want you to know today that I, I, according to my children, I can't do either one of them really well. Okay? But here's what's amazing is, is, I, is I live with a woman who literally could sing the phone book and it sounds great. Right, and, and the reason is, is because guess what? That's a gift that God gave her. There was never a moment that she said, I got to work really hard to do this. Right, that God put a desire in her to be a worshiper, and automatically she just kind of worships, right? Just, it's just there. Now, I can worship, but I just kind of worship with a crowd. They drown me out. Hallelujah. You know, I would even say this, maybe another example. Um, you know, we all know Pastor Tommy, right, plays the acoustic guitar. Well, Tommy and I have been friends a long time. Like, I think I was 20 years old, and he was 18 when we met. And, uh, and what's so crazy is, is when I turned 18 years old, my older brother bought me a guitar. So I've owned, I'm 45 now, so do the math. I've owned that guitar how many ever years? And, and I think I know like five, six, maybe seven chords on that guitar. And I got one rhythm, right? I got like one jam to it. Now, what's so crazy is I actually knew Tommy before he played the guitar, but I can still remember when he decided, when God put that desire, he said, okay, I want to be a worship leader, and I need to learn how to play the guitar. I'm telling y'all, I do not remember him even learning how to play. It came that natural. 
right? And so, so whatever it is in this room that you're extremely gifted at, that you, it just kind of comes natural, it just flows out, maybe it's talking to people, maybe it's counseling, what, whatever it is, it could be mechanical, carpentry work, whatever it is, to understand that God is the one that gave you that gift, and that gift is attached to your purpose and your destiny in him, right? It was a gift from him. The, the next thing we have to understand, the fourth thing that he has really gifted us with is this thing called possessions, like, understand that every material possession that we have is because he has decided to entrust it to us. So, like, think, the place you live, it's a gift. The car you drive, that's a gift. The clothes that are on your back right now, they're a gift. Like, if we can name it, it's a gift. Amen? So, and, and even though this next thing I would say that isn't necessarily a possession, I would add under that category that every relationship that we have, it's a gift. Your spouse is a gift. Your kids are a gift. Your parents are a gift, right? The people, your friends, they're gifts. And the last thing I would say that God has gifted us with, according to the scripture, is this, is literally every penny that you've ever had. I don't care if you lost it in your couch or if it's somewhere beside that McDonald's French fry under your seat in your car. Listen, if it's in the sock drawers, in the jar, if it's put away somewhere in a safe or a bank, at the end of the day, man, it's because Jesus gave it to you. So all, all five of these areas are gifts from our Heavenly Father for no other reason than the fact that he loves you and he loves me. Good news, right? All right, so let me give you two kind of extra thoughts kind of connected with this before we move on. First one is this. I realize when I mention those, especially the, the last two on the list, possession and finances, I understand that when we kind of strip away all of the, the right, nice, religious things that we usually say around all that, at, at the core, most of us are just red-blooded, independent Americans, right, who, who genuinely struggle to believe that the possessions we have and the money we have are gifts from God. Like, I understand that we, in our Christian world, like, we acknowledge God as provider, and we occasionally throw up a thanks for what we got, but when the rubber meets the road at the end of the day, when we look at the things that we have and the money we have, we simply say this, man, I attained all that. I got all that by my blood, my sweat, and tears. I earned that, right? Like, I woke up at this time, and I worked this amount of hours for that many days, right? And, and this is how, or that's how I was rewarded for all my efforts, like, is that not true? Yes, it's true. Now, to be clear, because I want to bring balance to this, when, when, when it comes to all this, I don't think God is in the room today dismissing anyone's hard work, right? But because however you want to package it, there's still other biblical principles that come into play here. For example, the Bible says that he who does not work does not eat. Like, if you ever need a kid to do a chore, that's a great verse to give, Okay. <laughs> Just saying, he who does not work does not eat. Listen, there's other verses that literally in the Bible that are, there's a lot of them that connect people's poverty with their choice not to work or just to be lazy. Listen, as equally, there's verses in the Bible that talk about how God rewards people's just straight effort, energy, good old-fashioned hard work that he rewards them. It's true, right? But, but here's the balance to what I want us to get. And here's what I'm like, man, please, 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 please don't miss this. Deuteronomy 8.18 says this. This is where the balance comes in. It says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he. Somebody say he. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Or as other translations say, to make money. See, that's where the rubber has to meet the road in our theology. 
Like it's founded in the truth that, that God is the one who gives us the strength, the energy, the ability, the breath in our lungs, the creativity to wake up every single morning and to go make the money that we work so hard for. But we got to, in the midst of all that, understand that, guess what? It still goes back to him. All right, so let me take this one step further. If you're with me, so yeah. Um, with all that money that we, that we earn, I want you to see how God sees that money. Okay, here's what he says in Haggai, chapter 2, verse 8. Quick verse. He said this, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. Let me bring that today. He's saying that paycheck is mine. That cash that just came into your hand is mine. That stock that you have, it's mine. Like whatever and however you view income, finances, at the end of the day, God is saying it's his. So if we can't for a moment, once again, I know it's a radical way of thinking, but, but man, my prayer this morning for you and for myself as well is that we'll be able to pause long enough, somehow shake ourselves from that American dream mindset, this American dream mentality just for a moment so we can change it for a kingdom perspective that says that it really all belongs to him, not us. All right, let me give you an extra thought. Second one. If you and I ever find ourselves struggling with this whole who owns what idea, like I realize today even I'm preaching, like there's a struggle going on in the sense of, no, that's mine. God's like, no, that's mine. Like, I understand the struggle and the tension of everything we're talking about because I feel it too, okay? But, but listen, if we feel that, I want to encourage us to think about something. And, and this isn't to be, to be morbid or heartless, but this is kind of what came to me as I was preparing, is, is if you stop and think about this for a moment, like how many, how many funerals have we in this room been to? Like if you went and just kind of added up, yeah, that, yeah, that was got, yep, yeah, that was got. I mean, we've been to hundreds, possibly even thousands of funerals in this room. And what's my point in saying that? My point is this: that we have seen thousands of people pass from this life to the next, right? And so, so once again, not to sound cold, but but how many of those funerals have we went to, and then we actually saw that people got to take their cars, their houses, their boats, their guns their jewelry, their closet full of clothes, right? Their money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How many funerals we went that, that meant that it went with them? Now, to be clear here today, like I've, I've seen some weird junk at funerals, okay? I saw one, man, a guy like NASCAR, they threw a NASCAR toy in there with him. I've been to funerals where they, there's a pistol, right? So I meant like I've seen stuff, right? Like here's jewelry, weavers, money. Here's I've, like I've seen all kinds of weird things. But at the end of the day, how many of you guys know that whatever they put in that box, it just went in the ground? Because at the end of the day, this isn't who we really are, man. We are a spirit, right? And our spirit is what goes to heaven or goes to hell, okay? And so when we ask, okay, what did they take with them? The answer is not a single thing. So in the end, guys, like, did any of it, the stuff, really ever belong to them? Or were they just kind of holding on to it, borrowing the stuff temporarily? See, listen to what Jesus said about this in Luke chapter 12. Great portion of scripture. He said this, verses 13 through 20. It says, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. So dad died, guess what? His stuff didn't go with him, and now they're trying to divide it. And Jesus noticed something. He said, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? 
But guess what? Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life was not measured by how much you own, about possessions, right? Then he told them a story. He said, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, well, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my stuff. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods, all my stuff, right? And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, right? Eat and drink and be merry. It says, but God said to him, watch this, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything, all your stuff, that you work so hard for. Come on, wave your hand at me if you know, like, that's sobering. Like, think about all the effort and energy that we put in to get stuff. Right? But listen, for whatever reason, I, you know, the world ingrains in us this, this false idea of ownership. But to Jesus' point, man, the truth is, is that we came in this world empty-handed, and we're going to leave this world empty-handed. Because the truth is, is we never owned it in the first place. Amen. All right, let's go to our third point. If it's true that everything belongs to God, not us, then I think that the next question that's begging to be asked is this, is what's our role? What's our role? What's our role in all this? I got all this stuff, but what's my role, Right? The, the third essential piece that we have to have in our hearts, in fact, if you don't hear anything today, this is the one thing that I want you to grab a hold of, is that you and I are called to stewardship. We are called to stewardship. Now, on that note, I recently read a brief story about a man named David Green. If you don't know who David Green is, David Green is the CEO and founder of a very successful business called Hobby Lobby. Okay, They have about 900 stores across the nation, uh, you know, Christian man, strong Christian man. God has blessed his business. This dude is super wealthy, okay? Um, in, in David's book, Giving It All Away and Getting It All Back Again, he talked about a time in his life when he became so overly concerned. He became weighed down, get this, with how much money the company was making and what he was supposed to do with it all. All this money's coming. What am I supposed to do? Now, most of us look and go, oh, poor you. That sounds like such a rough problem, right? But, but, but you have to understand the man's heart for God and understand why it was weighing him down because this was his main concern. It centered around the whole idea that when, whenever the time came that he decided to you know, retire and hand the business down to his children, he was curious and wondered and, and once again weighed down by you know, the fact that would that absorbent amount of money lead his three kids astray? Like, would they fall into the trap of loving that money more than loving God? And so one night as he was praying, truthfully, what he was, he was crying out to God because it was such a burden on his heart. Uh, he sensed God asked him, God said, uh, if the Jones family asked you to sell their business, would you? In response, David quickly replied, no, of course not, because I don't own that business. It's not mine, right? Then he heard the Lord simply say in a way that only God can, and neither do you own this business. See, David said that, that he quickly realized that Hobby Lobby wasn't his to sell or his to simply pass down to his kids because he was only a steward of the business. God was its owner. Y'all get that? 
See, the word steward means this, just so we're all on the same page. It means one who has been entrusted with the responsibility of managing the resources of the owner. Get that. God owns everything. We don't. We're called to be stewards. What's a steward? One who has been entrusted with the responsibility of managing the resources of the owner. So I think it's funny, like, here's this guy fretting, and how did God relieve David Green's anxiety and his worry? By simply reminding him that none of the things he was concerned about belonged to him. He was concerned about all this money. Nope, not yours. That he understood on that day that his job description from that point on was to simply manage the resources that God put in his hand. That was it. And so all he needed to do was this, and same thing that you and I need to do. We need to ask, we need to listen, and we need to obey the voice of the owner because at the end of the day, he's going to be the one that's going to make the difficult decisions and tell us what we need to do. It's his stuff. Why wouldn't he tell us what he wants us to do with his stuff? Right? And so once again, it's the understanding that here's David's responsibility and here's God's responsibility. And so what I'm trying to convey to us today is, man, whether we realize or not, that's exactly how God wants us to, to view our life. How often have we said as Christians, uh, my life is not my own? Well, I'm trying to tell you what that means. When you say my life is not my own, you're saying I'm just a steward of it. That's it. Right? We understand that, once again, time is a gift. So this is what God wants us to do with our time. He wants us to steward it. Are we stewarding it well or are we just wasting it? Right? It's how he wants us to look at our talents, our gifts. Are we using them? The Bible's clear that we actually are stewards of the gospel. We're stewards of our gifts. And do we use them for other people or do we use them for ourselves? Right? So once again, this is how he wants us to view. I'll start over. Our life, our time, our talent, our gifts, our possessions, our relationships, our employment, our business for you business owners in the room, the influence that he's given you, and yes, even our finances. Like he wants us to see ourselves as stewards of these resources, not as the owners of them. I told you it's a radical way of thinking. See, to understand that we are just simply called to manage those things for the king's use. So this ultimately means, and this is, man, let this sink deep, so simple, it means that he's in control, not us. You know, and I think on that note, if we would pause and we would, and we would maybe backtrack our lives and look at the really difficult moments, okay, and I'm not talking about tragedies, but I'm talking about difficult moments where things were a mess. Like, how often was it that it's because we decided to use the resources in our own way? We never checked in. Right, we, we were going to do whatever we wanted to do with our lives. We we're going to do whatever we want to do with our money, whatever we want to do with our possessions. And then when we screwed it all up, then we wanted God to fix it. Amen. I've done it. Have you done it? Yeah, right? And so, so I think about it like this. It's like that's when we get things off track. But, but if we can understand the, the, the idea of stewardship, let me maybe give you a picture of it so... You, you know, there were certain times, you know, obviously I worked at a church in North Carolina for 14 years, and there was years there I was single, and then there were a handful of years there that I was married. And so really before we had kids, uh, there were times where my pastor would call me up, and he would say, hey, Quentin, uh, you know, we're, we're going on a family vacation. 
next week, whatever. Can you and Jennifer come and, and watch our house? And, uh, you know, basically my car needs to go here. This needs to happen. That needs to happen, right? And, and so, or if, or if he would leave him and Tava, then we would have the kids and uh, we'd have to pick them up from school or whatever. And that's when we would use their vehicles. And, and so to understand when that happened, I, you know, I didn't go, woo, the owner's out of town. Pool party. Let's invite everybody over. Let's throw down, right? And tear up the joint. Am I making sense? Right? I didn't hop in a car and go, man, how fast can I get this thing to go around that corner before I put in the ditch? Right? I, I, you know, basically everything that he had, man, I just like, and, and she had, that, that our pastor and his wife had, that, that it was like, okay, man, this is not our stuff. We're stewarding over it for this moment. Uh, you know, how would he treat it? That's how I need to treat it. Right? Because I've been in this car. I know how he drives. Okay, that's how I'm going to drive it. I know he does house. That's what we do. And then even before uh, we knew, okay, they're going to be back on this day, Jennifer and I would plan enough time ahead that we make sure we cleaned everything. And our goal, simply as a couple, was can we make it cleaner than what it was when they left? Because why? Because we're stewards over it. Now, now how many times have we taken that approach to all the areas we're talking about versus just going, man, let's throw a pool party? Now, I realize when we're talking about this, once again, radical way of thinking, I get that. Um, but I understand that there's a lot of people that see this idea of stewardship where God's in control as really constricting, that's limiting. But, but I want you to know today that in my opinion, this revelation is extremely freeing. And the reason I say it's freeing is, is because of this. It's because it puts the vast amount of responsibility on him, not me. I do my part, he does his part. I do the light lifting, he does the heavy lifting, right? And so what happens is, is this, let me give you an example, very personal here, is that I understand, okay, I've been called to pastor this church, okay? And, and I understand that there's people that come that, that I'm responsible for and all that. And, and guess what? We've had to make decisions in the church. Uh, you know, financially, we've had to make decisions in the church. Do we go from one service, two services? Do we go to three services? There's always these things. Do we hire somebody here? Do we do this? Do we do that? So, so there's pressure and there's weight or there's something happening. We need to step in. We need to kind of fix it. And I can't tell you how many times with those things on my mind, I've paced this area right here where nobody here in this building, I have said, God, in prayer, God, this is your church, not mine. God, these are your people, not mine. So I'm going to ask you today in the name of Jesus to do X, Y, Z. Am I making sense? What's so, what's so great is, is in the midst of that, that there's peace and there's joy and there's a trust because this is God's. He's going to come through. So what happens if we take that same thought to go, okay, well, this is God's house, meaning your house, your address. It's God's. It's a gift to me. I'm a steward over it. It's God's. So, so in essence, if something breaks or something needs to be fixed, guess what? He'll come through. If the car breaks, what's his car? He'll fix it. Right? There's his kids. I may be dad and that may be mom, but at the end of the day, they're his kids. Jesus, we need you to move. Am I making sense? So, so listen, it just relieves, it puts us in a position of trust. When, when I look at my, my bills and I look at my bank account and all that, once again, God, that's your money. I have done what your word says. Now I ask in the name of Jesus that you would do what you said you would do. And I'm here to tell you, 27 years into this, he's never failed me yet. Amen. Some of y'all are scared to death. 
So it's freeing. The other reason it's freeing, the reason it brings joy and peace when you begin to live like this is because if we realize or not, this is actually who we were created to be. See, if we go all the way back to the beginning, we would find in Genesis 1, uh, you know, 26 to 28, it's where God says this, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Revelation, God's giving authority over creeps. Hallelujah. Verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, right, and every living thing that moves on the earth. What's God saying? He's saying, Adam and Eve, I am telling you that I need you to see yourself as caretakers and stewards of the garden. I am trusting you with the responsibility of this place. I'm putting it in your hands. And so from their point, it was their responsibility to steward, to manage their lives, their relationship together, their soon-to-be children, right? Basically, their, their sphere of influence ultimately, which was creation itself, and, and I'm like, man, I want us to know today that just because Adam and Eve fell in the garden, it doesn't mean God changed his plans, right? That you and I are still called, right? We're still called. We were still created. The original intent was that you and I would have the responsibility of stewardship for all these areas that we're talking about today, right? That we're here just to... to Manage the resources that have been entrusted to us. And while it may not be the Garden of Eden, man, please know that whatever God's put in your hand, it is important because it's a part of his plan. All right, let's go to our last point. Let me give a a simple but weighty statement. Please don't miss this. We understand, biblically speaking, that whenever responsibility is given, accountability is always required. That wherever responsibility, whenever responsibility is given, accountability is always required. See, just, just because Adam and Eve, you know, fell in the garden, it didn't mean that they weren't accountable for their actions. Like when they fell, they were accountable, right? And the same holds true for us today. But, but let me kind of say this kind of twofold. You can hear that in a really negative way or you can hear that in a really positive way. It's up to you. It's really based on your life. When you know you're doing what you're supposed to do, man, you get excited and you celebrate because there are rewards for that. When, when you're not doing what you're supposed to, that's when fear comes in, right? So let me read the last portion of scripture and we'll land the plane. Here we go. Matthew 25, Jesus talking, just talking about the idea of stewardship. Here's what he said. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on long trips. In other words, he said, I'm going to show how I interact with you. That's what he's saying. It says he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, three people, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. Verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. Are you seeing their part in this? Are you seeing work in that? Yes, there's still effort, right? It says, but the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. 
After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Whose money was it? It was his. Verse 20, it says, The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you have gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Y'all, that's how the kingdom of God works, right? If he can trust you a little, he'll give you more. Amen? Let, let me maybe even say it this way. If he can get it through your hand, he'll get it in your hand. Verse 22 Since the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now we'll give you many more responsibility. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. What's the point? He didn't really understand who God was says, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. In other words, I didn't do anything with it. I know you entrust me with it, but I didn't do nothing, right? says, look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant, gather crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I would have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. That's a scary verse. See, there's this thing that there's rewards attached to this, but you can lose what he gave you too. And then he said this, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant to outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. State some obvious here. Obviously, who does the master represent in the story? It's Jesus. Okay? Now, who do the servants represent? You and me. Right? What's the overarching lesson that he's trying to get to the crowd that's listening to him? He's trying to say this. This is our fourth essential piece. We have to understand if we're going to be good stewards is that we will be held accountable. You see, whether we won't admit it or not, once again, I'm just kind of going full circle here. There will come a day when we'll have to answer for how well we stewarded our life, our time, our talents, our spiritual gifts, our possessions, our relationships, our employment, you business owners in the room, your, your business, your company that you own, your influence, and yes, we're going to be held accountable, right, for how well we stewarded our finances for Jesus. And once again, if I can repeat this, if you know in your heart, man, I, I am doing what the kingdom asks, then man, it, let's celebrate. If you, if you know that you're doing it, you're seeing already how it works and you're seeing God's blessing in your life. If you're dragging your feet and trying to hide it, you know, we'll talk about this in future weeks and this is kind of scary. We don't talk about this stuff a lot in church. But when you do it God's way, you, you come up underneath the blessing. And when you don't do it God's way, you step out from under the blessing. And what's the only other option? It's a curse. Right? So if we're doing it well, hallelujah. But man, if you're here today and, and you're not doing it well, man, it's a great time to shake yourself 
and, and to do what we talked about a few weeks ago right before we went on break and understand that's where we begin to pray and go, God, would you please reset my heart? Would you reset my head, my mind? Would you reset my hands? What I'm doing, the stuff that's in my hands, will you reset it, right? Will you reset my home? If I'm not seeing it the way God wants me to see it, I need to reset it. God, whatever my schedule, my time looks like, if it's not the way he wants God, how can I reset it? Let me give you one more question. We're laying this. And this is a question that, that I can't answer for you. You're the only one that can answer it honestly before the Lord. When you view everything that we've talked about, and especially through the lens of that last scripture that we just read, that last passage, that parable that Jesus gave, um, man, like, what kind of servant are you? What kind of steward are you? Do you resemble the, the first two? Are you, are you the guy that's highly gifted? You've been given five talents, and, man, you're multiplying all that. Are you the one that's got two talents, but, man, you're using to the best of your ability? Or, or you're the one that's been given something from God, and, man, you aren't doing anything with it. You're just kind of doing your own thing in your own way of what you want. Because here's what I know when we bury something. If you bury something, you forget about it, and you go do your own thing. Right? And, and so I, I would probably say more than likely every person in this room, okay, give me grace in the statement, but more than likely every person in this room knows where you're like the first two, and then you realize the areas where maybe your mindset's off a little bit and you're acting more like the other one. I, I would say that's probably where most people stand today. And so, and so where discernment comes in is, okay, Lord, that's awesome that I'm doing this, but don't overestimate that and forget that. So, Lord, what do I need to change here so I can be all in? Right? I don't want to be given five and say, well, I'm using three and I'm burying two. Right? All right. You stand to your feet. If you can, just go ahead and close your eyes for a moment. You know, I fully realized today that when we begin to talk about this whole concept and this whole idea, which I hope you realize that there's not a thing that I said, a point today that I didn't give you a scripture with. And the reason is because I said, Lord, the word's got to do the work today. It's not about some idea that Quentin's got. It's not about personality or charisma. It's not fancy wording. Man, your word has to like really grow in our heart and bring revelation. And so today, man, I know as you hear that God owns everything and you don't own anything and you're just a steward, I shouldn't say just because that's a privilege because we're a steward and that we'll be held accountable. That's a whole different mindset of how most of us have been raised. It's totally different. It's radical thinking. And the reason it's radical is because, once again, we live in an upside-down kingdom that operates completely different than the world system. And so all I want to do today is just to, to take a moment and, and to simply pray that Jesus will help us begin to make that paradigm shift, that, that to literally uh, transition from the mindset that we have to the mindset that he desires for us to have. And I, when I say we, I'm talking about me too, okay? Um, let me say this to you, though, just as an analogy, because I say this to encourage you. You know... This morning when I woke up, uh, you know, it was dark outside, the house was cold. And, uh, and so the first thing I did is I walked in our living room and I, and I started a fire. And I noticed after a few minutes, kind of when the fire really got going, 
uh, that there were, you know, I don't know, I had like five pieces of wood in there and like four of them were kind of doing their job. They were burning. And then there was one that was just sizzling. It was like, I actually kind of stuck my head over in the fireplace just so I could listen to it. And I was just kind of sitting there in front of the fireplace praying. And um, literally for, I don't know, hour, hour and a half while I was sitting there, uh, the entire time, you know, it was getting smaller and smaller and smaller, but it kept sizzling. And the reason it was sizzling is because it was, you know, it had been outside. It, it was wet. And, uh, and, and so what I, what thought came to me while I was sitting there this morning is, man, isn't that a picture of us? That we get so saturated with how the world thinks. And then we begin to interact with God. And the Bible says in Hebrews, for our God is a consuming fire. What happens is, is, you know, um, because we're so saturated, immediately we don't see the change that we want to see. It actually takes a process of being in the fire and being in with God in his presence, in the word, that ultimately what happens is, is that, that uh, whatever, that wetness, that saturation that's in us begins to evaporate. And slowly but surely, like that log, we begin to change. Am I making sense? And so I just want to say this, that, man, you know, I realize today that's preaching this, that you're not going to come, you know, go home more than likely today and just this reckless abandonment that, man, I own nothing. Okay, I, I understand it's a process. And that's a lot of times why we do series is so we can keep teaching. In other words, we're, we're going to go, man, we're going to keep hammering the nail until that thing goes in, right? So, so today, really, the, the, the prayer that I want to pray is that simply that there would be a yes in our heart to the process that would say, yes, God, I, I'm inviting you to come and begin to change the way I think, begin to change the way I view my life and the resources that you've given me. And Lord, that I would have a kingdom perspective and not an earthly perspective. If, if you're with me on that prayer, can you just lift both hands to the Lord? Lord, do you see our hands today? God, we lift them up because it's a sign of surrender. It's, a, it's a, a surrendering today of a mindset that we know that's not kingdom. And so, Lord, we ask today that wherever we're at, God, on the journey of understanding what's yours versus stewardship and, and you know, all of that, Lord, we're just simply inviting you to come today and to begin a process and a journey like that log in the fireplace this morning. God, that you would slowly but surely begin to burn out uh, just worldly thinking and just mindsets that, that you're not in agreement with out of us. Lord, your word tells us that you've given us the mind of Christ. And your word says, God, that we renew our minds through the word of God. And so, Lord, today we've heard the word. God, we know your word's like a seed that's planted in the ground. And we're asking, God, that it would begin to grow and it begin to transform and it would begin to change us. God, that you would help us, God, to look once again at our very being as a gift. God, once again, help us to see our homes, our cars, our time, our money, all these things. God, help us to see them as things that you have trusted us with as gifts, once again, to honor you. And so however, Lord, you want to move from this day forward so those things 
as we are borrowing them in essence during this time of our lives. God, however you want them to honor you, help us to hear you and obey you because you're the owner. So Lord, today we surrender our right to hold on to these things like they're ours. God, we freely with open hands release them to you today. God, and we trust God that you'll lead us and you'll guide us and direct us in this area of our lives. God, we give you full permission to do that today. Once again, with hands lifted high, we say, Jesus, we surrender to your way, your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.